what I need you to remember, it's this, we started with it, and I need you to remember it as we continue, that the ultimate goal, what we're trying to accomplish here, is not to lift ourselves up. This is a dangerous game that we play. Okay, and I, I need to acknowledge that for you, and I need to give you caution. I need to acknowledge that for me, and I need to give myself caution. That what we are about is glorifying the God of the universe who makes us, who sustains us, who loves us with such crazy, passionate love that he gave up everything for us. That's what we're about. It's not about feeling good about ourselves, although I'm glad when you work hard, you feel good about yourselves. But I'm going to tell you this, with all due respect to the AmeriCorps folks that we got to work next to, and they're awesome. They are young men and women who have given up of their free time, signed up for a long period of time to go work and serve other people. But you know what? If you're here from AmeriCorps because I invited you to church, I love you. And I'm not mad at you for being an AmeriCorps. And let's talk afterwards. I, honestly, I, I, I don't see any of you, but I don't want to miss anything. And they work and they serve and they feel good about themselves. And that's all they get. That is it. We're working, we're painting, and I ask, like, hey, what made you guys sign up for AmeriCorps? What made you decide to do that? Well, you know what? We want to help people. Great. So your desire to feel good about yourself helping other people, it is good and it is right and it is rooted in God and it is woefully incomplete. There are Kiwanis groups and Lions Clubs for that. And those are great groups to be a part of. But they are not the gospel. We do this. Yeah, we get the residual effects of joy in our heart. But we do this work. And we are painfully clear that everything points to God. Because that is where it all belongs. Okay? And we're going to see that as we get into the text today. Uh, go ahead and kick my PowerPoint on there, Jim, as we, as we get into this. Um, we're we're going to be looking at Micah. Uh, chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, and it's just this little reminder um, of what happens when we misunderstand what we're supposed to be about. You ever have misunderstandings at your house? Raise your hand if you're married. You have misunderstandings at your house. <laughs> Let's just deal with it. It's just what happens, okay? Here's, here's how it works. Um, there are times when I'm communicating with Carrie and she's communicating with me, and I think I'm being painfully clear. And she thinks she's being painfully clear. And we look at each other, and I'm like, all right, we got this. We are on the same page. And then we walk away, and nobody picks up Aubrey. <laughs> because no matter how clear I thought I was, and no matter how clear Carrie thought she was, we were not on the same page. It happens. That's human interaction. But the good news is, with God, it doesn't work that way. God has been so clear with us that there is no confusion 
what God wants from us. He spells it out in his word. And in case you're newer here and you haven't heard us talk about this before, I want to tell you very briefly about this. This is the word of God, and it is non-negotiable. These are God's words to us. These are our instructions for living. These are our instructions for godliness and holiness. This is how we are to live. That's what this is. That's what this is about. Okay? And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to challenge what you think you heard on YouTube that says this book is full of errors or this book isn't accurate or um, there are parts of it that contradict each other. Listen, I, just because somebody says it on YouTube doesn't make it true. Okay? This is a book that has never been proven to be false. This is a book that has been validated time and time again throughout archaeological history. This is a book that stands the test of time. This is God's words breathed out for us. That's what it is. Therefore, when we read it, we take it seriously. That's what this is. This is life for you. That's why we say if you want to grow as a Christian, you read this every single day. You study this. You strive to this. And in this, God has told us exactly. He has communicated so clearly that we never have to have miscommunications like Carrie and I will sometimes have. It doesn't have to happen because God is so clear in Scripture. He tells us exactly what he wants. And, and that's what we're going to get into today in, in the, the book of Micah. The prophet Micah, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is writing to the people and he says, judgment is coming for you. Judgment is coming. He's writing to both the northern tribe and the southern tribe. This is written in, uh, oh gosh, this is about 742 B.C., that he writes the book of Micah, that he writes this letter to the people, that he prophesies to the people. And in 742 BC, we're real close to the time that the northern kingdom, quick history lesson, um, united kingdom under King David. Okay, Israel is united. The 12 tribes are together. And under David, they thrive. David's son Solomon comes along and they thrive even more. They build the temple. They worship God. And then Solomon gets dumb. And he starts worshiping other gods. He starts chasing other gods, the gods of his many, many wives. It's always the women, okay, that make us do silly things. Man, that's on us. I'm, I'm just saying, doesn't matter. Um, here's what happens. So Solomon starts chasing women. And when he chases women, he starts doing things to appease his many, many foreign wives. Um, and all of a sudden, he's not just worshiping God, he's worshiping all kinds of false gods. And we know that any false god, he's worshiping Satan. He's not worshiping Satan the way we might see in movies, but he's worshiping Satan. And God comes in with judgment. He says, okay, then Solomon, here's what's going to happen because of the way you've acted. I'm ripping the kingdom away from you. And so now from Solomon's heir on, we have the lower kingdom called Judah and the northern kingdom called Israel. The northern kingdom, Israel, never had a righteous king. Therefore, they were wiped out in judgment sooner than the southern kingdom because the southern kingdom would go through periods of righteousness 
and then apostasy. And then they would have a good king that would come along and would lead them in righteousness. They'd have revival in the land, and then the next king would come along and lead them in apostasy. And it was this roller coaster, and they lasted longer. But in 742 BC, when Micah is giving this message, the southern kingdom is falling away. The northern kingdom is about to get wiped out by the Assyrians. That's God's judgment is about to come on them. But Micah says, there is still time for you. The nation is done. There's no time for the nation anymore. The nation will be judged. But you, personally, you, individually in the north, there is still hope for you if you would just repent. And the people have all these questions about what repentance looks like. And so there's a couple things we're going to get into. First thing, get this big idea before we get too far into the text. The thing to remember about repentance is that it's not just acknowledgement that you're doing it wrong. That is a misunderstanding of the word grace. That is just a woeful, terrible, awful misunderstanding of the word grace. You do not get to say, God, I know that I'm doing it wrong. Therefore, I have repented while I continue to do it wrong. That's not repentance. Pardon my bluntness. That's stupidity. Repentance is saying, God, I know that it's wrong, and so I am going to work to fix it. I'm going to turn from my sin. I'm going to trust your leading, and I'm going to put my back to my sin, and I'm going to walk the other direction no matter the cost. That's real repentance, and, and, and that's where the confusion comes in here. Okay, the people are saying this. Let's, let's read. You can open up your Bible. We'll, we'll get to it on the screen. But let me read Micah 6, verses 6 through 8 for you to start with. It says, what can we bring to the Lord? This is the people now. Micah saying, here's what you ask me. Here's what you want to know. You keep asking, what can I bring to the Lord to make it better? Right? That's what they're saying. They're saying, okay, God's mad at us, Micah. We get it. God's punishing us. The Assyrians are at the door. What can we do to make it okay? And then they come up with these things. They're like, what kind of offerings can we bring? Should we bow before the Lord with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? And Micah answers, no, people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. To do what's right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. See, and, and as we get into this, and we really break this apart, what you're going to see is that God has never been confusing. We muck it up. But God has always been terribly clear. In fact, the people are asking Micah in 742 B.C., what does God really want from us? Except go back here in Deuteronomy. Back with Moses leading the people out of Egypt, God has already told them what he wants. Look at this. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? It's not complicated. What does the Lord require of you? Okay? The Lord your God requires that you fear him, that you live in a way that pleases him, and that you love and serve him with your whole heart and soul. That's a tall order. 
but it's not confusing. And then he goes a step further. In 18, he says, oh, by the way, he also has a heart for the orphans and the widows. He desires that the orphans and the widows, the least of these, those that need mercy from you, those that are socially outcast, those that are put down, he requires that you do justice for them because he shows love to the foreigners living among you. See, God's never been confusing about what he requires. The question is, what do we do? And, and too often, what we try to do is we try to go ahead and we try to, we try to religion the crap out of this. I just said that. <laughs> and I heard myself say it as I was saying it, and I'm sorry. But, but we try to religion this, okay? We, we, try to, we try to finagle this. We try to angle. No, I'm, I'm really, I am sorry. That... We, we try to manipulate it almost. It's what we try to do. We try to make it be what we want it to be. Okay? We try to figure out ways that we can serve around it. But God says, no, 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 no. It, it costs more than that. Okay? First things first. It's like, what does the God, what does he want from us? What is, what is he trying to get from us? Um, and, and he says, no, 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 what he, what he wants is that you get past yourself. See, this is what we always try to do. We always try to religion our way out of holiness. Or we try to hyper-spiritualize our way out of surrender. Right? And I have been in my life, I'm going to be really honest with you, I have been really guilty of this at times. And I'd love to be able to tell you that I was really guilty of this when I was immature. Some of you are like, do you hear what you just said? You're still immature. I get it. Again, I apologize. Um, but I mean, I, I still sometimes struggle with this because I know what God wants, but in, instead I, I try to figure out a way that I can, I can justify, right? That I can make it all right, right? That I can religion out of it, or I can put some super spirituality on top of it, or I can read what God says and I can finagle it in such a way that says, well, yeah, but that was then. That's not really what he means for right now. That's not really what he's saying to us in the 21st century, right? That was fine for 742 BC, but here in 2017 AD, he means something completely different because God was confused about what the culture would be like today. But we do that. And, and so this is, this is the heart of their question. This is the heart of their needing to know is like, when is enough enough? When is God going to be satisfied with what I give him? What if we give him yearling calves? Those were year-old calves. Those were the choicest of sacrifices. If you read through the Old Testament, you read through the sacrificial law, yearling calves, that was where it was at. If you really wanted to honor God, you bring your year-old calf. Now, here's the thing. I know nothing about cows except that they're delicious. And there's this weird thing. When you cook them, they smell awesome. When they stand in the field, not so much. Okay? I know that. I got that figured out. But, but so some yearling calves, this was, this was the choicest of sacrifices. So this is, what, this is what they're asking. They're like, well, can I bring the best of what I have? Can I give the best possession I have? Will that satisfy God? And the answer is no. It will not. So then they move to this other extreme. Well, okay, if, if the choicest sacrifice, if quality doesn't do it, maybe I'll throw in some quantity. 
What, right? what about ten thousands, I'm sorry, thousands of rams and ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Now that's a little absurd, okay? But you see the, the, the point they're going to to make the point. It's like, okay, if the choicest doesn't work, the choicest sacrifice, the best doesn't work, you know what? We'll kill him with quantity. What if we just give him more and more and more? Will that satisfy God? And of course the answer is no. It's not the best possession, sacrifice, or offering. It's not the multitude of the sacrifice or offering. And so then we go to the extreme. What if, what if we gave up the thing that was most valuable? By the way, this is something that God never commands but it's something that was fairly common with the Canaanites. It was not uncommon in the time of Moses and moving forward for Canaanites, other, other people groups probably as well, to decide that their god Molech was dissatisfied with them. That's why it didn't rain. That's why there weren't crops. That's why uh, people... Um, weren't thriving. That's why other nations were oppressing them. So here's what they would decide. You've seen these movies, right? And, and see, they're, they're silly movies, haha, you know, and like that would never happen, except it did, where they would all get together and they would cast lots. What family is it going to be? What clan will make the sacrifice this time? And then out of that clan, what family is going to make the sacrifice. And then out of that family, that extended unit, which individual family is it going to be to tell me what child am I going to sacrifice to this God? In Canaan, for Molech, they threw him in a fiery pit. The ultimate sacrifice, because God has to respond to it then. Something that the God of the universe, the one true God, has never asked for and would be appalled by. The false God Satan loved, right? But the people are desperate. They say, okay, God, we've offered you the absolute best we have. That's not good enough. We've talked about quantity. Maybe we just need to sacrifice more and more and more. You're still not happy. Fine. Our firstborn. Maybe that'll make you happy. And God says, absolutely not. It's not what it's about. Not at all. Oh, see, I'm stuck. I did a bad thing, Jim. Can you go on to the next one for me? It's a really good one, I promise, guys. It's like the best big idea I've ever had. There it is. See, the problem is this. It's not... They're asking the wrong question. See, and this is where we need to be cautious. They're asking the wrong question. They're asking is, what can I do that will make God happy? Let's put that in modern day terms. If I sang more hymns, would that cause God to bless the church more? Don't answer. The answer is no, so I just want to spare some of you that. If we sing more contemporary music, would that make God bless the church more? The answer to that is no too. That's also no. If 
if Matt wore a suit, if we all wore suits to church, would that make God happy? No, okay, then fine. He'll wear t-shirts all the time. That won't do it either. What if we gave more money in the offering plate? Would that do the trick? Would God be happy with us then? No, it doesn't work that way. What if we recited more liturgies? No, no. What if we all joined small group? No, that doesn't get it done. What if, as a church, we had a three-day in-town missions trip where we got everybody to take time off work and come together, and we went and served in the community, and we blessed people, and we, we did siding, and we painted houses, and we gutted things, and we fixed things, and we worked for the school. We did all of this stuff. Would that make God happy? No. Because it's never supposed to be about the sacrifice. It's not. It's never supposed to be about the sacrifice. This is why the people are so confused. Micah says, judgment is coming. You need to repent. And they're like, okay, what do you want? You want, you want the yearling calf? You want the thousand rams and rivers of oil? You want our firstborn children? Tell us what you want. And what Micah is saying here, what the Holy Spirit is communicating is, it's not about what you give. It's about the heart with which you give it. What God wants is you expressed through your sacrifice. That's what God desires. That's what God wants from you. God wants you to give yourself. And then, when you are in the right position, everything you do is offering. We did a three-day in-town missions trip. Great. And it was awesome. And we'll do it again. Planning for Faith in Action 2018 will begin in a couple of months. But the only thing that should be unique about that is that we did that together as a body. Because that should be the kind of sacrifice and offering that you are living out every single day. Because what God requires is your heart. And then when your heart is right, everything you do becomes the sacrifice. See, this is why AmeriCorps, go back to AmeriCorps, this is why AmeriCorps is great. AmeriCorps is great, okay? But, but when I ask you, who are you working for? Ultimately, you know what it comes down to? Everything I'm doing right now, I'm doing for the government. That's great. I, I, I want our government to be about helping and serving. I, I, I do. I really do. We can have political conversations later. Not now. All right, but I, but I want them to be about that, right? So when the people say, you know what? Yes, you know, we're, we're doing this and it's great. Good, okay? That's who they represent. They even have conversations, I would imagine. You can ask Megan. She served in AmeriCorps. We're not mad at you, Megan, for serving in AmeriCorps. She even worked for them for a while. Now, that one is, no. Um, but they even have, you know what? Here's who you represent. You be careful. Act this way. Don't cross that line. Don't do this thing. You watch yourself because you represent AmeriCorps. You represent your government. God says, what I'm interested in is that you represent me in every single thing that you do, in everything that you're about. So listen, our, our mission trip is over, but you know what? When you walk across the street later today and you have a chat with your neighbor, you're still on mission. 
right? When you go into your house, oh, this one, this, I, I really, I felt really bad about myself the other day, and, and I, um, it's too late. I didn't listen to the Holy Spirit, but, but I've got a neighbor that I had been praying for that lived across and up one, okay? I've been praying for him, praying for his family, and, uh, you know, sold his house. He's moving. And I thought to myself, missed my window. And while I was sitting in the driveway feeling sad for myself because I missed my window, the guy is outside loading up a truck with one other guy all by himself. And I'm sitting in my driveway going, man, I missed my window because I don't really feel like moving today. I don't really feel like going and getting hot and sweaty, uh, helping him load up a truck. You know what I forgot? I forgot that I was, I'm, I'm always on mission. And so are you. And so we do these three days and it's great, right? But don't let it turn into your yearling calf and your rivers of olive oil and your firstborn child because it's never good enough. You could offer everything you have and if it's not with the right heart, it's never good enough because it's never what God requires. You want to know what God requires? It's not complicated. God requires that you be a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 says it this way, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. That is the way to worship. Your life as a living sacrifice Meaning that every, like living, like, no, I don't need to sacrifice my firstborn child. You know what I need to sacrifice? Myself. And then I am the sacrifice in everything I do, everything I'm about. That is worship. That is sacrifice. That's my life. This is the call for you. We practiced it for three days. Not so that you could put a pin in it until next June. Because if that's what we're about, if that's what we're about, then it's a waste of time. And if that's what we're about, then we're patting ourselves on the back. We're saying, look how awesome we are, community. Look how much we did for you. And that's what it is. And that's woefully incomplete. And we should be the Lions Club. And I'm not mad at the Lions Club. We should be Kiwanis. That's great. But that's not who we are. But what Paul says is that you are to be a living sacrifice we practiced it as a church. We said, here, church, this is what this is about. Can I be really honest with you? I'm glad that Betty's here today. And I hope that other people that we served are equally as impacted. But can I tell you who was on my heart as I prayed for the faith in action trip? More. I mean, I prayed for Betty and I prayed for the others that we served, but my heart was more broken for you and me. Because the goal for me wasn't just to serve people in our community. The goal for me was to get us practice, to get us geared up, to help us understand what our lives could be like when we live as living sacrifices, when we pour ourselves out for the sake of the gospel. We will celebrate this 2017 Faith in Action as a success now, but really, if we're honest, it gets an incomplete grade. 
and it gets an incomplete grade because the success of this is whether or not we decide to live this way. Not just when the church gathers, but when the church goes into the community. You are the church. We are the church. We sing those songs. Build your kingdom. God of the city, there is so much more to do. There's no one like our God. Well, we better keep going. We'll never get done. Here we go. Micah 680 wraps up this text with, okay, you want to know what God really wants from you? You want to know how to be a living sacrifice? You're like, okay, Matt, I would love to live as a living sacrifice. What does that look like? Well, there's three simple things, and they're not new. The Lord has already told you what's good. Here's what he requires. Do what's right. Translated, that means love justice. Do what's right. Love justice. Loving justice, guys, that has to do um, not just when you want justice for yourself, but that has to do with justice. And, and not necessarily legal justice. That's not, we're, we're not, I mean, yeah, I guess that's part of it. But God isn't talking about, when he says, do what's right, love justice. He's not talking about make sure that legal justice is done. We've got government agencies for that. We've got law enforcement personnel that take care of making sure that legal justice is done. I do not need you to become Batman. Although that would be cool. But what we're talking about here, love justice, is social concerns. You guys, I mean, do you know how messed up our world is? I mean, do, do you really know how messed up things are? I mean, they're messed up here in Vinton, but oh my goodness. We live in a world with sex trafficking. It's rampant in Iowa. Addiction. Poverty. Genocide. And God says, I've already told you what I desire. I need you to love justice as much as you love yourself. I need you to do what's right, even when you're tired and you'd rather go home and watch TV. And not only that, not only do I need you to seek justice, I need you to love mercy. Mercy has to do with pouring out grace and kindness in places where you aren't expected to pour out grace and kindness. See, that's why faith in action is fun. You know what we do with faith in action is we practice doing justice and loving mercy on a very small scale so that you can go home and you can say, well, I experienced that. I got the joy from that. The Holy Spirit confirms in me that that's right. And I'm going to go and my family is now going to participate in this. I'm going to make a difference in my neighborhood. My neighbors and I are going to make a difference. And it moves. Do what's right. Seek justice. Do justice. Love mercy. By the way, those are, the, those, are, those are flip sides of the same coin. Look at this, right? Because when you live a merciful life, when you have kindness poured out to people, when you have um, gentleness and all of these things that you feel towards people in different situations, even if they don't deserve it, even if it's not expected from you, but this is how, that will force you humanly to do justice. 
or to live a life where you feel awful all the time. Isn't it funny how God sets that up? Because when you feel mercy towards people, when you feel merciful towards people and you don't act, that's tragic. And in your heart and in your soul, you know it. God says, no, 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 these go together. This is, this is two sides of the same coin. You seek justice and you love mercy and that pushes you outward. And then he finishes by saying this, you walk humbly with your God. When you walk humbly with God, that's not overly complicated. When you walk humbly with God, it's not overly complicated. And humility... A lot of people, in humility, it's like, ah, uh, being humble, it means I got to think badly of myself. I got to think less of myself. Um, I got I to gotta do, no, you know what humility, it just means you stop thinking about yourself. I didn't act with humility when I sat in my driveway and I saw my neighbor struggling to move things on a hot day, just him and I'm assuming his dad, and I sat there and I thought... I'm tired. I got work to do. I don't really want to have to take another shower today. I mean, seriously, broken, messy. I don't want to take another shower today. I don't, I'm just going to go inside. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll wave as I go in. God says, seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Think less of yourself. And in case we don't know what that means, it's just simply this. You must, you want to be humble? Have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. He was God, but he didn't think of equality with God as something to grasp. No. Instead, he gave everything up. He didn't think about himself at all. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being. He appeared in human form. He humbled himself even lower to be born into a, into a culture that, that looked badly upon him. And in that culture, humbled himself even lower. He didn't make himself important. He took on the position of a lowly carpenter. And then... He humbled himself even further to die a sinner's death, a, a criminal's death on the cross so that you and I can be right. Listen, the call in Micah 6, 6 through 8, is to love justice, to seek mercy, and to walk humbly with God. You know what that is? That's to emulate Jesus. Because God's expression of justice, mercy, and walking humbly, that's Jesus Christ. Jesus who came to seek justice. God is a God of justice, and sin must be paid for. God came, Jesus came, God sent his one and only son to seek justice and to have justice. But at the same time, he loved mercy to the point where even though we didn't deserve it, he died for us. 
and he humbled himself as a slave so that the God of the universe poured everything out for us. That's the point of the cross. When God says, I want you to love justice and seek mercy and walk humbly with God, what he's basically saying is, I want you to act like Jesus Christ. Don't be confused. You're not Jesus Christ. You will not be. We are broken. We sin. We mess up. But God says, this is what I want you to be. Emulate. Grow in this. Be this. Pour yourself out on behalf of the other person. That's why Jesus says, look, you want to follow me? Then you do what I did. Pick up your cross. Die to yourself and come after me because that's what discipleship looks like. Here's what we're going to do. Normally, we would, we would stop now and, and, and we would uh, collect the offering. We continue our service. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to mess with it. Um, I'll ask one of the ushers at some point before we finish singing the last song, just take these offering plates and, and, and set them in the back. And as you leave, um, if you've got offering to give, uh, I, drop it in the offering plate as you go. Okay? But right now, what we're going to do is we're going to take communion together. Ask the praise team to come up, the elders to come up. We're going to take communion. Uh, and, and it just feels right that we do this right now because what we're talking about is that when we seek after God, right, when we chase God, okay, that we're acknowledging what Jesus did on the cross. We're reveling in what Jesus did on the cross. And we're saying we are going to do that in our own living. We are going to seek justice. We're going to love mercy. We're going to walk humbly with God. It's, it's what happened on the cross. And so I'm going to invite you uh, as, as we go to communion. Look, if you're visiting with us here today, um, I need you to know that the communion table is open for you. This is something that those of us that call blessed hope, uh, I said that completely wrong. Let's forget I said that. Let me go backwards. This is something that those of us who call ourselves Christians are free to participate in. There is no, um, there's no mystical thing that happens as we take communion. I am convinced as I read through scripture, there is no mystical thing that happens with communion. There is a holy spiritual thing that happens with communion. As we do this together, we are acknowledging the God of the universe who sent his son. At the breaking of the bread, he says, do this breaks the bread, eat this, remember me, remember what happened. I gave up my life humbly seeking justice and mercy and died on the cross for your sins. And he poured the cup and he passed it around and he said, this is my blood. This is the new covenant poured out for you. You're about to enter into something else that is so good. Do that. Drink it. Remember me. Remember the sacrifice. This is, this is a very spiritual thing that we're going to do where we remember who God is and what he's about. And because of what he's about, what our lives are about. The communion table is open. The only requirement is that you be a Christian. That you're saying, yes, I understand about the sacrifice. I understand about the cross. I understand the call for my life. Okay? Would you pray with me? Um, and we will come in and take communion. And we will sing. Um, and then I'll invite you afterwards, after you take communion, depart, drop your offering if you have it. Um, and my only, my only ask is that when you leave, you leave quietly so that those who are waiting for communion um, can do so in right reflection. Okay? And then we'll all meet together in the lobby um, afterwards. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for who you are. 
We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for the fact that you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, that you loved justice and mercy and humbled yourself to pay the penalty for our sin. And then you rose again, conquering death. Father, that is our hope. It's in the resurrection and the fact that you love us. And Paul says in, in Romans 12, that our right response to that is to give ourselves as a living sacrifice that pours everything out for you, that follows you in obedience, in righteousness, in life. So God, as we come to the communion table this morning, we thank you for the sacrifice. We thank you for the brokenness on the cross. And we thank you for the blood that was poured, that washes away sin. And Father, we ask you as we take communion today, or as we prepare to take communion, that you, that you work in our hearts, bring sin to light, help us to repent of it, not just to acknowledge it, but to turn our backs on it so that we can live lives that are dedicated to holiness, dedicated to mercy and justice, and humbly following after you. God, we love you and we praise you. Amen.